Man, I'm so glad you're here today. I hope you're glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here today. We've got a few things to discuss today and also next week as uh, we're going to do some vision chats. I know it's just summer, but we want to be able to look forward to fall and what God has for us here at East Bay Calvary. Um, I want you to get a jump start if you have the opportunity and look forward to um, the book of Philippians in chapter 1. And uh, if you are a regular part of East Bay Calvary, I know that this uh, discussion today has a little bit more for you. If you're new or just passing through, you know, if you're part of uh, Cherry Fest and if you're really not a regular part of this community, um, you know, I just want you to know um, we're glad that you're here. I know that today may not connect with you if you're not going to be here for the long haul. But if there's anything I want you to know about our church is that we care about people. Uh, we care about advancing. Uh, we don't just want to stand around and play church. We want to connect with our community in authentic and substantial ways. We want to mean something for God's kingdom. And um, that's what today and next week are all about in our vision chats. So how about we jump into it and get, uh, get talking together. So here's, here's what I want to uh, think about here today. Jesus knew why he came. There's no question why Jesus came to earth. It was not a vacation. It sure did not involve luxury or conveniences. Like politicians, it was not a photo op for Jesus. He had a mission, Jesus did. Um, he had something very serious to accomplish. Plain and simple, Jesus came, he said, to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus was on mission every day, and every day he was moving forward daily toward his ultimate mission, which was a cross, and it was redeeming all of those who eventually would put their faith and trust in him for salvation. And he also was preparing those who would eventually carry on his mission of making disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. And he would make disciples who knew what their mission was. It was the same mission as Jesus. Disciples were disciple makers. It was their passion. It was their obsession. This morning, I just want to give you a little snippet of a disciple whose obsession completely was, was making disciples. His obsession was disciple making. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that disciple was the apostle Paul. And it was in the book of Philippians in chapter 1. In fact, if you're probably there, I need to get there if I'm going to be of any help to you today. And uh, Philippians chapter 1, I just want to give you a, a grand overview of the first chapter. Let's walk through it and navigate it. You're going to see a repeated phrase as we work through this thing. And then I want to give us four considerations for catching vision here this morning. For this region here in Traverse City and the Grand Traverse area. And these are so significant, folks. 
I really believe that they need to grab our heart, they need to grab our soul, they need to really motivate us if we're to make a difference in our region for Jesus Christ. If you would grab the back of your East Bay Weekly, we're going to see a few different things about this chapter that really captured the passion of the Apostle Paul. Look at these things really quickly. This is what brought a smile to Paul's face about these believers in Philippi. Here he and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, it mentions in verse 1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, he mentions grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he was so thankful for in verse 3 and 4. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He's so thankful for them. Notice verse 4. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Notice from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This good work that God began in them was not just something in them that was just about them. It was a good work of the gospel. There was something about this gospel, the mission of Jesus that they were bringing to their region to, to ultimately impact their community with the gospel. Now, some of you are wondering, what is this gospel? Let me, just, let me just give it to you. The gospel literally means this. It means good news. It means good news. And, and good news are code words for the reality that Jesus' mission was to rescue us from sin and its punishment. And that it has been, as we just sang, it has been accomplished. And you don't have to grovel for it. You don't have to do penance for it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try to earn it. Jesus earned your release from sin and its punishment when he bore God's wrath on himself when he died on the cross. Now that is the good news. That is the gospel. And that should be the culture of a ministry. The culture of a ministry is, folks, we have been set free. We have been released. We have been forgiven. There is rescue. There is hope. There is relationship with God. There is connection with God. There is healing. Now, that sounds like good news to me. Doesn't that sound like good news to you? That sounds like great news, actually. Yeah, I'm even thinking that's okay to clap in church. And that's what he says. This is the gospel. And, and he says about the church in Philippi, we are all about spreading this good news to everyone in Philippi. He says, that's what makes me happy. We're all in this partnership together spreading that. So there was a partnership for the gospel. Notice he was in verse 7 in prison for the gospel. Check this out. He says, that it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in, notice this, I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now this is an interesting thing because 
he was, at the very time of the writing here, he was in chains for the gospel. He was in prison for the gospel. The reality of this situation, not only was he in prison for the gospel here, this wasn't the first time. Paul had been in prison numerous times for the gospel. In fact, Paul had been beaten for the gospel. Paul had been stoned for the gospel. Paul had been mocked for the gospel. Paul had been shipwrecked many times for the gospel. This guy had been all out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're understanding that he could not be knocked off mission no matter what was going on. So here he was in prison for the gospel. He had a partnership with these people for the gospel. He was in prison for the gospel. And then if you jump down a couple more verses, he celebrated because even though he was in prison for the gospel, check out verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in prison, actually served to advance the gospel. Now here's, here's his reasoning. As a result of him being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So here's what's going on. The gospel is being promoted. There's this promotion of the gospel. So he's in prison, and everyone throughout prison is starting to understand why he's in prison. So you know how it is in prison. Okay, maybe you don't. Anyway, so people in prison. And one guy asks another guy, so what are you in for? Well, I'm in because I killed Rocco. And what are you in for? Well, I'm in because I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves souls. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And it's kind of spread throughout the whole palace guard. That guy's in because he's preaching about Jesus that forgives sins. And so Paul's like, you'll never believe this. But because I'm in prison, everyone knows about the gospel. Can you believe that? And then not only that, he says, but because I'm in prison, other people are starting to get bold. Like, you know, if Paul's in prison for the gospel, I think I can get some guts and start telling people about Jesus too. And so he says, the gospel's advancing even though I'm in prison. So there's a partnership with them in the gospel. <clears throat> he's in prison. It's for the gospel. And even though he's in prison for the gospel, <clears throat> there's still a promotion of the gospel. But then here's the last thing, and this just blows me away because this is so non-pastoral. He puts up with others in a way that no other pastor I've ever heard of would ever do 
because of the gospel. Now look at this, verses 15 through 18. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He says, now the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So here's what he's saying. So some people are preaching Christ and they're saying good stuff about me. Other people are preaching Christ and they're saying bad stuff about me. And he says, and you know what? I don't care because they're preaching Christ. So keep preaching Christ and I'm fine with that. Now as a pastor, guess how I feel about that? Guess what I'd be putting on Facebook the next day? I'd be defending myself. But he's like, you know what? I don't care. And look at why. Because verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. You get this feeling that for Paul, everything was missional. Everything was missional. I've got to get the gospel out to people. We've got to make disciples. We've got to impact our community. We've got to have people trust and put their followership in Jesus Christ. And he was so on mission. Jesus was so on mission to personally impact the world with the gospel. And the disciples were so on mission to personally impact their world with the gospel. The early church, man, they were so on mission to impact the world with the gospel. They were just on it. And we can just see this spreading and people thoroughly on mission with the gospel of Jesus. And, and then here we are, 2,000 years removed, and here's the big question that I want to pose to put out to the Church of America today and, and specifically to East Bay Calvary Church. Are we on mission to personally impact our world and specifically, initially, Grand Traverse County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the big word is, are we on mission to personally and individually impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I want to ask us two questions. And without looking at anyone around us, without thinking, I wonder what they're doing... I just want us to look inside and to think inside about ourselves. And I want to ask two questions that I hope make us really think. And here's the two questions. Number one, 
looking around this room, number one, who is in our church right now as a direct result of you personally living on mission to make disciples? Just think about that one. Who is in our church as a direct result of you personally living on mission to make disciples? I think it's a valid question. I think it's a question the Apostle Paul would probably ask right now if he walked into the room. <coughs> Excuse me. Who is in our church as a direct result of you personally living on mission to make disciples? Think about it. Number two. Who in our church is growing as a direct result of you personally living on mission to make disciples? Number two. It's a big question. It's an intense question. It's not only getting someone in here, but you know, are they growing? Are you helping someone grow? Who is growing in our church as a direct result of you personally living on mission to make disciples? Because making a disciple isn't necessarily just getting someone to pray a prayer and boom, they're in the door and you're all done. Just like having a child isn't necessarily just having a kid and you're all done. You know you've just begun. Who's growing? We've got some work to do, and I want to give you some vision thoughts. I want to give you four considerations for catching some vision. And these are things that I know we're not going to do overnight. I really believe we're going to be looking at some things over the period of the next nine months to a year that we are praying about and working through with our pastors and elders. But I want to give you four considerations for catching vision here this morning. And then I want you to meet somebody today. Someone really special that I really hope helps you in thinking through mission and vision here at East Bay Calvary. Here's four considerations. Write these down. I want you to write anything in here that I say that will help you think through these things that ministers to your heart or prompts your thinking about mission or vision. So here's four considerations. Here's number one. <clears throat> First consideration. Number one, turn our face back to the mission. Turn our face back to the mission. Back to the mission. Everyone experiences vision leak. In every marriage, you know, things get busy. Kids come along. Life happens. You forget why you got married in the first place. In every organization, sometimes it becomes about the building and the structure, the profit and loss, or, you know, rather than the mission of why you began. And even for churches, they naturally leak vision and mission, and they need to regularly reorient themselves back to what matters most to God, why we began in the first place. And catch this, I've been in churches and pastored churches where months can go by. Months and months and months and months can go by. And no one, no one would ever even complain 
that there hasn't been a salvation or a baptism. Not one complaint that there hasn't been a salvation or a baptism. But if a guy walked in the church building with a hat on, it's like you walk through the shoplifter alert at Walmart with a tag still on your item. You know, boop, 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 you know, and... Now, in one month, I'm going to begin my 28th year of pastoral ministry. I started when I was 10. <laughs> I've gotten complaints on just about everything you can imagine. It's amazing. I'll let you guess. What do you think the number one complaint subject I've received in my ministry. I give you one guess, you say it out loud. What do you think it's been on? No, you're wrong. You're all, no, just kidding. Okay, music. <clears throat> music style, music volume, um, dress, hats, not having flags on platform, uh, patriotic observances, <clears throat> you didn't call me, it's not funny. It's not funny. You didn't spell a word right in the bulletin. Um, my book is coming out later this month. It's called There is Joy in Serving Jesus. Anyways, um, you want to know the one thing? This is, I'm, I'm serious. You, you want to know the one thing I've never, ever, ever had anyone complain to me about? Ever. I have never, ever had someone complain to me. I've never had someone say, Pastor, I'm so upset that we are not impacting our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ever. In 28 years. I've never had someone say, Pastor, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to reach our community with the gospel. I've never heard it. Never once. And I'm just... I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just opening up my soul here for a moment. I'm, I'm, although a pastor, I'm also a sheep. I'm just, I'm with you. I realize that the very first step of a disciple, Jesus said, is to first deny himself. I know. I know what it's like. Deny himself. Take up their cross daily. Follow me. But when I look at the Apostle Paul, when I look at Jesus, when I look at the first church, 
When I look at what happened back then, these people were like, bring it. Bring it. We'll do it. We're on mission. When I see what Paul did, he's like, to the weak, I'll be weak. To the Jew, I'll be a Jew. To the Greek, I'll be Greek. Like, whatever it is, bring it. Poor Timothy, because here Paul preached, circumcision's nothing, circumcision's nothing. You don't need to be circumcised to be saved. Then he turns to poor Timothy, who's a Greek, and he says, hey, we're going to some Jews to preach the gospel. Timothy's 40. Timothy's 40. Timothy, we're going to the Greeks or Jews to preach the gospel. I want you to be circumcised. Like, what? You just preached you don't need to be circumcised? Like, yeah, buddy. Uh, it's to the advantage of the gospel. Do it. Really? Really. It's to the advantage of the gospel. Do it. He did it. And then here's the modern day church in America. Um, I wonder what Paul would say. We meet in heaven. Paul, you have no idea. They made me get up at 8 a.m. for the early service. You have no idea what it was like, man. You know. Paul's like, oh, wow, I was only stoned and left for dead. You know, Paul, they don't play my songs anymore. Paul's like, wow, I'll tell Timothy to stop bellyaching about his circumcision then. Mm. I think we need to ask ourselves is what we're doing really missional? Is what we're really is what we're doing really to the advantage of the gospel? Or is it to the advantage of myself? Is this really to the advantage of the gospel? Or is this to please my nostalgia. Am I willing to hold things loosely? Yet hold the gospel tightly? Is this truly about kingdom effectiveness? Is this really about the mission? And if we truly want to be effective about the things that God cares about, we have to ask the difficult questions and ask them often and ask them of ourselves. Or else we can just play church and just do the things we like and walk out of here every Sunday 
turn our face back to the mission. Here's number two, and I need to keep moving. Currently, I'm on pace for 1 p.m. Set your timer. <clears throat> number two, turn our face back to the bay. Turn our face back to the bay. I'm sure you're wondering, what in the world is he talking about here? Here's what I'm talking about. Our name is East Bay Calvary. You know, we used to be right on the bay. Many of you were here when we were right on the bay. From our old church building, how many of you were in the old church building? Quite a, quite a number of you still, it's neat. From our old church building, which is where Walgreens is, where I actually get my prescriptions, um, someone, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how the building was structured, our church building, but that's where we were. Someone with the arm strength of a Detroit Tiger or uh, New York Yankee could throw a rock and, and hit the bay from, from right there, and um, that's where we were. But I want you to think about this. Of the, of the five largest churches in Grand Traverse County, I believe ours is the closest to Traverse City. And there's some great churches in Grand Traverse County, but, um, you know, our sister church, New Hope, isn't closer to Traverse City. And our sister church, Westside, a great church, they're not closer to Traverse City than we are. We're closer to, to the city. It's right here. We're, we're still just a couple miles from the bay. And, and we're still here, and we're still East Bay Calvary Church. And our, our building's not on wheels. So God has us here. And I understand that there had been radical cultural shiftings and they are continuing and they make us uncomfortable with the city. And we're all family here, so let's just open up. You know, we, we struggle with it and probably more than just with its traffic. There are cultural trends. There's growing overt sexual identity things. Some people struggle with the crosswalks. Some people struggle with Michael Moore. It's a center for Planned Parenthood. And everything seems to be moving in a direction. And all the flags seem to be blowing in the city. And it just seems to be getting louder and louder. And for our church, it becomes more and more uncomfortable. And so you know what it seems to be easier to do? It just seems to be easier to kind of turn our back and maybe face our ministry maybe a little bit more toward the rural and face it away and to be happy to 
to reach into a different direction and face into a different direction. And I remember being in a ministry in Ohio, and it was, it was an interesting thing because um, uh, originally when it was developed, it was, in a, um, it was in a predominantly white region, and they built this uh, facility in the subdevelopment. <clears throat> and over the, over the years, um, actually the area um, grew into a minority group predominantly. And the crazy thing is the church demographic never changed at all. And it was kind of ironic because I, I remember driving into church and I would drive through this predominantly minority group area and, and I, I just kept thinking, how come, how come our church doesn't reflect this? Like, how come we're not reaching them? How come nothing is changing? And, and, and people drove from outside of that area, through that area, to our church. And we never reached them. And I'm wondering, didn't God call us to them? Didn't God call us to impact them? And hasn't God called us to reach Traverse City? Hasn't God called us to impact them? And I, and I realize it can be uncomfortable. I realize it can be scary. I realize we wonder about our children. And, and, but then I think, you know what, folks? Do you realize the church at Corinth had a temple in the middle of it where men would go to worship there because there were a thousand prostitutes? And that was their act of worship? One theologian said with tongue-in-cheek, finally, a city where men finally went to church, sick. Friends, God can handle Traverse City. His gospel can handle Traverse City. In fact, if you're still in Philippians 1, if you just look down a little bit farther... He nails it, man. He nails it. He, he mentions verse 28. Ah, just back up to verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened, here it is, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Bam, there it is. You can do it. Turn our face back to the city. It needs to be part of our vision. We've got to hit it. Here's the last two things. We need to take a different approach toward the de-churched. I've hit this slide twice for you. You need to see it. Can we be reminded that we live in the 14th most de-churched region in the United States of America? 
And here's what this means for us. 40% of our population used to go to church. Now let that sink in. 40% of our population used to go to church. They've been saturated with church, and they no longer go. Now if you can see this, we're in the same stats with places like San Francisco and Boston and Seattle and Portland. So realize we're in there with the big wigs. We're in the big leagues, folks. So these are de-churched. These aren't unchurched. These are de-churched. This is a different game that we're playing. And this is significant and unique. We're not like every other area in the U.S., They've been saturated with church. They've tried it. And I am amazed at how many people in our area not only tried church, but here's the thing. Listen to this. People in our area have not only tried church, they've tried our church. I'm amazed by that. They've been to the programs. But for some reason... Their genuine needs to one way or another, they've not sensed the connection. And I realize there's a two-way street on this. I understand that. But put it this way, if we did, or if church in general did things, or truly had the gospel connection with them, with their greatest needs, that 40% probably could be considerably lower because they'd be here. They used to be here. They used to be here, and now they're home. Now consider this. When Jesus came to earth, what were his needs? What were Jesus' spiritual needs? I mean, did he have any big spiritual deficits? Did he have any sin issues? And and it's really interesting, when Jesus came and he was on the earth, what type of people he had flocking around him? And all the people that he had flocking around him were the disenfranchised people from the religion of his day all the people that used to be in judaism that were rejected from that or didn't connect with that or weren't good enough for that or whichever they they no longer were in that they flocked to him they loved it and in fact that caused him to become the ridicule of that religion they looked at jesus and thought oh look at him look at him look who he's hanging out with But certainly, he didn't have all of these spiritual needs. But he was able to connect with those people who were disenfranchised. He connected with the de-churched. And this is going to actually draw us into the fourth thing that I want us to think about as as we connect with this consideration for catching vision. Here's number four. This is something that we are going to peel back a little bit more next week ask less of programs and more of people. 
ask less of programs and more of people. So let's stay on this topic. What made Jesus effective, but not the religion of his day? So think about it. The religion of his day had the teachers, they had the buildings, they had the structure, they had the rules, they had the societal acceptance. There was the guilt. They had the whole thing going. But Jesus had the people. And what was the whole thing? Why in the world did they flock to him? Why did they connect with Jesus? But the religion of his day was flopping. And and what we are seeing now, just like back then, is people want and need people. People need connection. People need love. They need guidance more than the structure, more than the program, more than the building, more than the rules, and even more than the teacher. They need someone to walk through life with them just like Jesus did with his disciples. They need someone just like Adelaide needed. I want you to meet Adelaide. Adelaide, come on up here. Let's grab this mic down here. I don't know if you've ever met Adelaide before. Come on over here. You get to hold that. How does that sound? Welcome, as I mentioned, this is Adelaide. Um, Adelaide has a really special story. She's actually a part of the last two things we've been talking about. I need to get out of the way so that way the people over here can see as well. And we have we might have Elizabeth. We have some escapees. Okay. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So Adelaide uh, has been with us for a few months now. And uh, Adelaide has a really special story that really connects with the last two things we've been talking about. Adelaide, you're, you're, um, you're be, uh, in the D Church category. Yeah. Right? Yep. How long have you been D Churched? Um, about seven years now. About seven years. So if you were de-churched, obviously you were churched. Yeah. So explain some of your church experience. So I was, I grew up kind of in church. Um, and then we were, I was a part of youth group. I was a part of the mission team for the youth group. And I mean, I went almost every Sunday for quite some time. And then um, things happened and I just kind of fell out of church. So you were, you were full deal. You yeah. were in church. You were in youth group. You were on missions teams. You were 100% into this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you were out. Yeah. So um, when I was in high school, I met uh, my husband, Tyler. And um, we started a relationship that was not healthy. Um, there was sexual immorality a part of it. I ended up having... Um, three children out of wedlock. 
Um, and then right after high school and after I found out I was pregnant with the twins, we got married. Um, there was a lot of um, drug and alcohol abuse. There was um, homosexuality issues. There were, there were just a lot of garbage things, I yeah. could say. Um, that happened, we were a part of the party scene, and we just, we weren't a part of Christ at all. Okay, can I just stop something and say, folks, this is a brave woman right here. I just say yeah. So, a lot happened these last seven years. This is exactly the type of person we need to reach people. This is exactly who Jesus wants us to reach. And I, and I know that there's a lot of healthy people out there. But Jesus even said, I, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. And there were, there were some times you'd jump into church here and there, right? Yeah, we would be the CEO Christians, as you right, said. Right, yeah. So like we, in, inside we call um, CEOs Christmas, Easter, and occasional. Those are our CEOs in church. <laughs> Sounds really important, doesn't it? Um, and that's what it kind of was for you in the meantime. But your life really as a de-church person, just went off the rails. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I definitely hit rock bottom. Um, my husband is now incarcerated. I'm in the divorce process. Um, and so I, uh, the other, well, about two months ago now, um, my mom was having a discussion with my siblings about whether or not um, they had to come to church, and I remember the day before I came in um, to church for the first time in a long time, um, she kind of asked me the night before, she's like, did I fail as a mom? And I said, no, um, <laughs> I'm broken myself, you know, um, and so the night before I came into church, I wrote myself a list, and I said, you know, what are, what's keeping me from church? Why don't I want to go? And the two main things are I struggled with connections and finding connections with people who were really going to do life with me. And I didn't want to deal with the shame. I didn't want to deal with the guilt. I didn't want to deal with the trauma that was going on in my life. Um, and so the first day I walked in, it was the comeback series, and it was on Joseph and all the trauma that was going on with his life. And cried through all of it, to be honest. Um, and before the service had started, um, they were talking about small groups. And I was like, okay, maybe that's something that I can do because classes didn't work for me, you know. I was a part of youth group. I was a part of all the different programs, but I had never found a connection with people. Um, so after the service, Pastor Brian um, prayed for me and prayed for my family. And he started talking to me about his youth, or not his youth group, his small group, and he's like, you need to go. And if he hadn't followed up with me um, that next week and pushed to make sure that I came, I probably wouldn't have come back to church because there was so much going on in my life that I just didn't want to deal with. Um, but I came the next week, and life has changed radically since then. Cool, cool. 
So um, who's your bodyguard over here and what's she doing up here? This is Joanna. Um, Joanna has helped me so much. Um, this last month we connected. I kind of came up to her. I was like, I just need somebody to do life with. I need somebody to read the Bible with me and keep me accountable. And she, one of the things that we talked about was she didn't want to keep me accountable. She wanted to hold me close and to love me. And I don't know if you wanted to speak on that really fast. So my name is Joanna. Um, you're so amazing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm so proud of you. The courage that she has to say that is a lot. Yeah. Um, so the first week, that, so she's in my small group, and she came up to me, actually, and asked me if um, we could connect and um, that, you know, she wanted someone to, you know, be that person. And my first thought was like, oh, gosh, no, pick someone else <laughs> um, because I didn't feel qualified. And that's what I think the enemy wants us to think is that, you know, I'm not perfect enough. You need to find someone who has all the answers and is perfect and can help you. And um, what God was just saying to me is that, you know, we don't need perfect people. We need people to show up. Right. And so that was um, what we talked about. Our first meeting was just um, that I'm not going to have all the answers, but I'm in it to figure it out together. And because I'm not there to give my opinion and we're there to figure out what God says and we can do that together. And so um, that's what we've been doing. And that whole idea is something I heard. Um, obviously, accountability is important. But because we're people, we mess it up a lot. And um, it kind of turns into pointing out our flaws and pointing out what we're doing wrong and how you should fix it. And um, I heard someone I really respect talking about that and saying, instead of focusing on holding you accountable, that they want to hold them close. And that vision of um, instead of it being pointing out what's wrong is holding someone close enough that when we go through struggles that you go through it together and that you help them. That accountability just comes naturally, but the motive of being there isn't for accountability. It's to um, love people right. and do life together. So that's been really awesome. Awesome. Give us a couple of victories we can celebrate with you since, since you've been here with us. Um, so one would be that I have pretty much stopped drinking since um, about three weeks ago. Awesome. Um, I have also stopped um, any relations with people that have been bringing me down. Um, I've gotten out of that party scene for the most part. I struggle every day. Um, I'm a baby in Christ, as I like to say, and I fall some days, but I definitely have been trying to be intentional with who I hang out with and the people that I connect with. Awesome. <clears throat> awesome. So folks, um, this is what it's all about. This is totally what it's, this is why Paul got so stoked in the New Testament and got so excited about growing this thing he called the church when he saw things like this happening. Why he wanted the gospel to continue to grow and build is when he saw lives changed like Adelaide's. And it happens through the gospel, through people touching people, through staying on mission, through being fiercely supportive, strong, going into the battlefield where God wants us to be, even though we might be a little bit nervous, 
And as your pastor, you guys can go. Thank, thank you, you so much. I know, thank you. We want to go. I know. <clears throat> as your pastor, folks, I need the opportunity to lovingly and boldly lead us to grow to be more of a missional church. We've got to be. I don't want us to be a museum. I, oh, man. I want us to be on mission. I want us to see kingdom gains. I want us to advance for the cause of Christ. I want us to see things that can only be explainable by a work of God and His Spirit. I, I just don't, I don't want us to say, hey, here's the formula, and that's just you do one plus one and it's two. I just want to say, I have no idea. I have no way to explain this. It's just God, man. It's just God. He does this rescue when we, when we throw His gospel out there. He pulls people in like this. We just gave up our preference. We just gave up our things. And he pulled it together like that. We do things for a kingdom advantage, not our advantage. And when we say people today are looking for people, not programs, here's the reality. And I'm serious. They're looking for you. They are looking for you. That may scare you half to death, but people are looking for you. They need you. They need love. And just like Joanna says, I don't have all the answers, but you know what? They don't need all the answers. They just need you. They need you to hold them close and to walk through life with them and to get them to the other side. And that's what church is all about. So let's stand together. Let's start to catch this vision for being on mission together, for reaching our city together, for embracing this gospel and marching it forward together. And God, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, That with boldness, courage, love, passion, may we advance with the best message ever, of the best God ever, who gave up everything for us. Jesus Christ the one who even gave up his very life so we could have life the one who gave us freedom through his death on the cross God we celebrate him and we want others to celebrate him too and to find that freedom God, we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for letting me preach a few extra minutes this morning. 
I haven't preached for two weeks, so what do you expect, you know? Hey, this will only work if we all hold loosely to what doesn't missionally matter. And if we all hold tightly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do things for a kingdom advantage and not our advantage. For the glory of Jesus Christ. And we move forward together. Hey, God bless your week. Let's look for another Adelaide, huh? Do this thing together. God bless you. Have a good week.